Welcome to The Christian Atheist, where faith and reason fuse in the Incarnation. Episode number 94, Paradise Lost, Books 7 and 8, Evil Absent. But the evil, soon driven back, redounded as a flood on those from whom it sprung, impossible to mix with blessedness. Apart from Book 3, Divine Superlatives, each of our Christian Atheist episodes on Paradise Lost have been about evil. There is a sense in which, thus here at the center of the poem, we have a contrasting interlude of peace in the storm of evil about which the action swirls. This contrast is almost certainly deliberate on the part of the poet. Books 7 and 8, originally combined as a single book in the first edition, are the foundational narratives of human existence, the creation of this universe in which we dwell, and the creation of man. We have discussed the nature of foundational faith in the goodness of God, and we discover that when evil is absent, good is all in all. I believe this to be the primary takeaway of these books. Absent Satan and the fall of man, all is good. Because God is goodness itself, the summation of value, as expressed in the quotation with which we began this episode, evil will always self-isolate and self-immolate. Although evil cannot exist without good, good is fully existent. Indeed, the divine superlative of reality itself. We might conclude then, as C.S. Lewis does in The Great Divorce, that evil simply is the progressive diminution of goodness, and thus also of reality, of the relative, self-isolated part, from the absolute whole of value, God. Just as we see a progressive decline in the power and majesty of Satan in Paradise Lost after his fall, all evil imprisons itself and tends toward dissolution and despair. The life of evil thus consists only in the parasitic life of infecting the good, dragging it down, destroying, and sickening. Adam, quote, with desire to know led on, yet sinless, requests that Raphael continue the fount of revealed knowledge begun in Book 5. Quote, as one whose drought yet scarce allayed, still eyes the current stream, whose liquid murmur heard new thirst excites. This metaphor of water quenching the thirst for knowledge is certainly meant to suggest those streams of living water from the Lord Jesus. Again, we see the divine encouragement of human curiosity, which is meant, as Adam himself says, quote, the more to magnify his works, the more we know, and, quote, for which, to the infinitely good, we owe immortal thanks. And again we are told that there are essential boundaries to human knowledge and understanding, as Raphael says, Such commission from above I have received, to answer thy desire of knowledge within bounds. Beyond, abstain to ask, things not revealed, which the invisible king, only omniscient, hath suppressed, to none communicable in earth or heaven. Enough is left besides, to search and know, to know in measure what the mind may well contain. The boundaries, that is, are due to the limitations of the finite creature that man is, incapable of being understood by finite man, and thus incommunicable, as in Isaiah 55. God says he is the, quote, I am, who fill infinitude, 
and Raphael comments on Adam's limited capacity to understand. Immediate are the acts of God, more swift than time or motion, but to human ears cannot without process of speech be told, so told as earthly notion can receive. Interestingly, there is also a profound encouragement here to, quote, search and know what we can through investigation. This corresponds with the desire to know the good, God himself, to glorify the Creator through his creation. This is the exciting exploration, the adventure to which humanity is called, the never-sated desire to know which, properly channeled, drives us ever forward and upward, science itself in creation, and the revelations to come. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it, God told Adam and Eve. Investigation, learning, science is part of this mandate, and the human desire to know is given him by his Creator, in order by knowing to bring praise and thanksgiving to the author. Milton's God the Father here suggests that unfallen man's progressive unveiling of knowledge on earth is his plan, quote, till by degrees of merit raised, they open themselves at length the way up hither to heaven, under long obedience tried, and earth be changed to heaven, and heaven to earth, one kingdom, joy and union without end. God's goodness is such that evil cannot frustrate it. Quote, to him glory and praise, whose wisdom had ordained good out of evil to create. We are to keep this in mind as the story of creation unfolds, beginning with the primary metaphor from Book 3. Let there be light, said God, and forthwith light ethereal, first of things, quintessence pure, sprung from the deep. God saw the light was good. This formula is, of course, repeated for the remainder of the creation story. God creates, and then, quote, God saw, surveying his great work, that it was good. The phrase is never that God creates the good, but only that he recognizes it, sees its goodness. That is, he sees himself reflected in that mirror, like the sun sees the moon, less bright the moon, but opposite in leveled west was set, his mirror, with full face borrowing her light from him, the other light she needed none. Male and female, the marital metaphor, is here, the looking-glass reflecting and revealing the real, the beautiful, the true, that is, the good and in this same way proceeds to the creation of man on the sixth day. He formed thee, O man, dust of the ground, and in thy nostrils breathed the breath of life. In his own image he created thee, in the image of God express, and thou becamest a living soul. Male he created thee, but thy consort female. Then blessed mankind, and said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth, subdue it, and throughout dominion hold. The value hierarchy is here clearly evidenced, and all that he had made, God viewed, and behold all was entirely good, as perfectly, if only partially, being his image, man most highly of all. Quote, How good! 
How fair is God's creation, answering his great idea. These metaphors of creation and looking glass we can understand, for we are co-creators and pro-creators, rational beings investing ourselves and seeing ourselves in our work and our children. Book 7 ends with this. Thrice happy men and sons of men, whom God hath thus advanced, created in his image, there to dwell and worship him, and in reward to rule over his works, on earth, in sea or air, and multiply a race of worshippers holy and just. Thrice happy, if they know their happiness, and persevere upright. Book 8 renews the search for knowledge. Raphael saying to Adam, To ask or search, I blame thee not, for heaven is as the book of God before thee set, wherein to read his wondrous works and learn. Or, if they list to try conjecture, he his fabric of the heavens hath left to their disputes. Those disputes may eventually lead to greater understanding of the world, but they should not substitute for knowledge and the practical application of it to human life. Joy thou in what he gives to thee, this paradise and thy fair Eve. Heaven is for thee too high to know what passes there. Be lowly wise. Adam comments, But apt the mind or fancy is to rove unchecked and of her roving is no end, till warned, or by experience taught, she learn, that not to know at large of things remote from use, obscure and subtle, but to know that which before us lies in daily life, is the prime wisdom. To this end, Adam tells his story to Raphael, also curious to learn, and this story speaks to me deeply. Trained as I am in phenomenology and Sartrean existentialism, Adam woke to consciousness a rational soul, first aware of the world around him. Myself I then perused, and limb by limb surveyed, but who I was, or where, or from what cause knew not. To speak I tried, and forthwith spake, and readily could name what e'er I saw. Rational consciousness is the self-encountering of presence to a world. It erupts and is complete, knows itself as animals do not, thinks in concepts, can question, reason, and conclude how I came thus, how here, not of myself, by some great maker then. In goodness and in power preeminent, tell me, how may I know him? How adore from whom I have that thus I move and live and feel that I am happier than I know? Causal awareness, linked with temporal awareness, past, present, and future, is part and parcel of the ability to question, to seek knowledge. Tied into this rational self-awareness is the self-knowing corollary Adam expresses here. It is he who made us, and not we ourselves. The direct contradiction of Satan's rationalized claim to Abdiel that the rebellious angels, quote, know none before us, self-begot, self-raised by our own quickening power. In Book 5, Sartre, though atheist, 
agrees with Adam in this dispute as to the immediate phenomenological contents of human consciousness. As Paul says in Romans 1, the knowledge of God is manifest in them. First knowing God as remote, causal maker of the world and himself, God next reveals himself in presence and in speech. He who was my guide up hither, that is to Eden, from the trees appeared presence divine, rejoicing, but with awe in adoration at his feet I fell submiss. He reared me, and whom thou soughtest I am, said mildly, author of all this thou seest. The divine name, I am, is here declared to the first man as the causal origin of all things. All the goodness of God's creation is at man's disposal, but boundaries too exist for finite creatures who can understand only in part and yet are granted free will. Those boundaries as part of God's creation are good. Faith and obedience to the highest is to rest in his goodness, what we have called fundamental faith. Out of love, obedience and trust flow. What is fascinating in what follows is the interaction of God with man, for what follows is man questioning God. Even wrestling, Israel means to wrestle with God, the Almighty in a sort of game, a rational play. With reverence, Adam declares that though all creation is good, he yet senses a lack, a desire unfulfilled in all his search of God's works. In these I found not what methought I wanted still. How may I adore thee, author of this universe, and all this good to man, for whose well-being thou hast provided all things? But with me I see not who partakes. In solitude, what happiness? Who can enjoy alone? Or all enjoying, what contentment find? Of fellowship I speak, such as I seek, fit to participate all rational delight, wherein the brute cannot be human consort. The orders of creation are here expressed. Rational with non-rational, can no discourse find, nor true unity. God playfully responds, not displeased. A nice and subtle happiness I see, thou to thyself proposest, Adam, and wilt taste no pleasure, though in pleasure, solitary. What thinkest thou then of me, and this my state? Seem I to thee sufficiently possessed of happiness, or not? who am alone from all eternity. At least part of this play is to have Adam recognize the distinction between God and man. God being infinite and all-sufficient, and man finite and dependent. The Socratic point. Our fundamental ignorance and limitation, foundational to all human reason properly employed. A realization that Adam now expresses clearly telling Raphael that with free will he boldly spoke to the Almighty. Thou in thyself art perfect, and in thee is no deficience found. Not so is man, but in degree. 
the cause of his desire by conversation with his like to help or solace his defects. I need a compliment to make me whole, to make me better, to reflect back on me through rational interaction that which I cannot see for myself, and with whom I can share your goodness, making it complete. God's answer is perfect. Thus far to try thee, Adam, I was pleased, and find thee knowing, not of beasts alone, which thou hast rightly named, but of thyself, expressing well the spirit within thee free, my image, not imparted to the brute. Good reason was thou freely shouldst dislike, and be so minded still. I, ere thou spakest, knew it not good for man to be alone. What next I bring shall please thee, be assured. Thy likeness, thy fit help, thy other self, thy wish exactly to thy heart's desire. God lays his cards out on the table. His game was to test Adam's rationality, or perhaps to have Adam see it in himself. God is pleased by Adam's conceptual and honest self-awareness. Remember that Satan refused to own his deficiencies, his finitude, and proper place within the created structure. Seeing Satan's fallen rationality in the books preceding, Adam's unfallen rationality shines forth clear and unsullied, evil absent. Adam's honest self-assessment in what follows is also psychologically astute, both in terms of the dramatic arc of the poem and in male psychology. Adam is blown away by Eve. Grace was in all her steps, heaven in her eye, in every gesture, dignity, and love. This new creation, however, reveals to Adam yet one more weakness. Here passion first, I felt, commotion strange, in all enjoyments else superior and unmoved. Here only weak, against the charm of beauty's powerful glance. Yet when I approach her loveliness, so absolute she seems, and in herself complete, so well to know her own, that what she wills to do or say seems wisest, virtuousest, discreetest, best. All higher knowledge in her presence falls degraded. Wisdom in discourse with her loses discountenanced and like folly shows. Authority and reason on her weight, and, to consummate all, greatness of mine and nobleness, their seat build in her loveliest, and create an awe about her, as a guard angelic placed. Raphael's response is a warning, a warning which Adam himself will echo in Book 9 when Eve seeks to separate, quote, herself though fairest unsupported flower, from her best prop, Adam, against his better judgment. That Eve can be your weakness, Adam, Raphael says. Accuse not nature. She hath done her part. Do thou but thine, and be not diffident of wisdom. With honor thou mayest love thy mate, 
who sees when thou art seen least wise. Eve is your mirror, Adam, in which you see yourself aright, and to glimpse divine love, to see God. Love his image in Eve. What higher in her society thou findest attractive, human, rational, love still? In loving thou dost well. In passion, not. Wherein true love consists, not. Love refines the thoughts, and heart enlarges, hath his seat in reason, and is judicious, is the scale by which to heavenly love thou mayest ascend. Adam paraphrases. To love thou blamest me not, for love, thou sayest, leads up to heaven, is both the way and guide. God is love. This superlative, this light, pervades Book 7 and 8 of Paradise Lost. Evil here is most conspicuous in its absence. But as I learned from Sartre and the phenomenologists, absence is a form of presence, a sort of haunting. The absence of Satan and evil here in Eden, God's complete goodness in creation, is all the more poignant in that they are ubiquitous elsewhere. A peaceful walled garden on the verge of chaos, pathogenic evil surrounding, plotting, and scheming entrance. I am a Christian, with the searching and skeptical mind of an atheist. I don't want to believe anything that isn't true. I know both sides of the looking glass, and I know them with open eyes. I choose Christ's side. I invite you to join me from wherever you stand before the looking glass. That's this week's episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can have your religious cake and eat it too. You can have reason, respect for science, a 21st century worldview, and be a Christian.